Good morning. I'm Jonathan White, part of the pastoral team in this interim period at Mayflower Congregational Church. Before we get started this morning, I want to tell you that I've had several conversations with church members this week, and I found out that many Mayflowerites don't know that we are streaming the service. So today or tomorrow, I would deeply appreciate it if you would call a friend or maybe two and let them know that worship is alive and well at Mayflower Church. Tell them to tune in on Sunday mornings or to join us on the YouTube channel for a rebroadcast. Ruth is going to make this announcement again because I've also found out that sometimes you have trouble logging in when the service starts. So please forgive our redundancy. And now, let's join Dr. Julia Brown in our prelude as we begin worship.
Welcome to all of you watching our live stream worship service here at Mayflower. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. As Jonathan mentioned earlier, many of our members are not aware of our streaming worship service and the rebroadcast on the Mayflower YouTube channel. When you talk to your friends, please tell them about Mayflower's virtual worship. And although we are not here together in the building, we celebrate our unity of spirit that we can virtually have this shared worship experience. I am the Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your pastoral interim team, and we are thrilled to be here. Dr. Julia Brown, our music director, Pat McGuire, our broadcast director, and Bill Potts, our cantor, are also here this morning to lead and serve in worship. Next week, Allison Reese, a harpist from the Grand Rapids Symphony, will be joining us, so that will be a very special service. Well, many of you have been asking about the reopening of the church. The church council is keenly aware of the opinions and passions represented in our congregation. They are weighing several ideas for a modified reopening, and they are seeking advice from our COVID task force. Communication about all of this will be forthcoming. Meanwhile, our outdoor space is getting all kinds of use from our windy confirmation service last Sunday to Bible studies and midweek and Elevate. And there's something new to look forward to. We are planning an outdoor communion service for World Communion Sunday on October 4th. So mark your calendars and plan to join us on the front lawn that day after our live stream worship service. Well, we know we have so much to be grateful for this morning. So let us begin our worship with a call to worship from Psalm 145. We will extol our God and King. We will bless God's name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. God's greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud God's works to another and shall declare God's mighty acts. So come, let us worship our great and mighty God.
hearts together for our opening prayer. O Lord, you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. We know that we do not always follow this example. Turn our hearts toward you. Empower us with your spirit. Lead us away from anger and lead us toward love. Lead us toward grace. Lead us toward mercy. Amen. scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything that they shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, And they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. 
and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. 
Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy One, open our ears that we may hear, our eyes that we may see, our minds that we may think and critically analyze, our hearts that we may care, and our hands, so that when we leave our place of worship, we leave in service. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a crisp fall day at Mayflower Church in the late 1980s. Marcia and I had packed the kids in the car after church And our daughter, Katie, started asking me some profound theological questions. Daddy, she said, God wants us to love everybody. I said, well, that's right, honey. I'm feeling kind of proud of her. And she said, that means everybody, doesn't it? I said, yes, yes, it does. We have to love everybody. Even our enemies, Daddy. Yes, that's right, honey. Even our enemies. Even people who don't like us. Yes, honey, that's right. I was beaming with pride. And then she asked the theological question. Then, Daddy, why do we hate the Pittsburgh Steelers? Because we're Cleveland Browns fans. Because we didn't win down there for 17 years in a row. Because Terry Bradshaw. Because we love the Brownies. She had a point. As human beings, we're programmed to have an in-group and an out-group. The in-group looks like us, thinks like us, believes like us. The out-group is different. We survive and we protect the in-group. The out-group is other. And they're not as important. Even though that's in our nature, God turns that on its head. God tells us to be something else. 
It took folks a while to realize that. When the Hebrews were settling the land that they would call Israel, they joined together. There were tribal gods and there were gods of cities. Marduk and Babylon, Asher and Nineveh for the Assyrians. And the great Lord, whose name would not be mentioned, I am Adonai in Hebrew, or the Lord, protected Jerusalem. But as the stories of the Hebrews grew in the Bible, people came to realize that God was not the city God of Jerusalem. God was not the tribal God of the Hebrew tribes. God was all. Where's that first realized? Not so much in the histories. In the histories, God is portrayed as a warrior protecting the tribe. But when we come to prophecy, we see a very different rendition of the meaning of God. See, we tend to think of prophecy as foretelling the future. That's not what biblical prophecy is. It's not eeny, meeny, chilly, beeny, the spirits are about to speak. I realize I just lost everybody under 55 in the audience this morning. Google Rocky and Bullwinkle. Prophecy isn't about predicting the future. Prophecy is about calling people back to God. And prophecy is telling people that God is not simply the God of Israel. God is the God of the Edomites, of the Moabites, of the Canaanites, and everything that the Hebrew world could imagine. Today, because of technology and learning, it's greater than the Hebrews could imagine. Probably greater than we could imagine. And I would argue, greater than we could imagine. That's what prophecy is. Now, when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to proclaim the word, it's kind of like being called, it's, well, it's not kind of like being called, it's being called to the enemy city. And Jonah's not really anxious to go. The first thing he does, if Assyria is that way, Jonah's going that way. Now, the book is full of subtle Hebrew humor, but there's a profound truth underneath that humor. Jonah sells away, thinking he's safe, thinking that he will avoid God, ends up in the great water, the Mediterranean Sea, falls in, and he's swallowed by a fish, not a whale. It says a great fish. And 
For some miraculous reason, that's because this is extraordinary biblical literature written in extraordinary dreamlike language, the acids in the stomach of the fish don't dissolve Jonah. And we can see him there inside a fish having a moment of self-reflection. Hmm. I can stay in this fish and eventually those juices will change my energy into energy for the fish. Or I can get out of this fish and do what God told me to do. So after reflecting, Jonah says to God, okay, I'll go. The fish miraculously swims up on the beach and spits him out. And Jonah reluctantly makes his way to Nineveh. And he tells the people of Nineveh, this is what God has in store for you. You are going to be crushed. You are going to be destroyed. You are going to be eradicated from the earth unless you repent and worship this God. And Jonah leaves because he's happy. He knows that these hated enemies are not going to turn from Asher and worship God. He's starting to leave confidently when the king of Nineveh says, Jonah's right. Let's repent. Every man, woman, and child in this city and throughout the empire, let's repent. The Lord changes the divine mind. Jonah's reaction? <laughs> you can't save these people. They're from Nineveh. And he goes outside the city and he pouts. God looks down on him, causes a plant to grow and give him shade. Well, Jonah says, at least I have shade. God says, Jonah, you don't get it. So he kills a worm, sends a worm to kill the plant. Jonah, those are my people too. There is no out group. That lends itself well to the parable that Jesus tells. The parable about the workers in the vineyard. Now, Matthew's narrative, like he usually does, leaves a whole lot of questions. There are a whole lot of things that Matthew doesn't explain when he tells a parable or when he sets up a pericope. Some of the things that come to mind here, why does the landowner keep going to the market? all day long. What are the laborers who are in the market doing at noon and in the afternoon at the end of the day? 
Why does the owner say, I'm going to pay everybody the same thing? And what does it mean to say the first shall be last when that doesn't seem to be related to the parable at all? Whitney Bodman of Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, emeritus professor there, says we misinterpret that parable many times. Professor Bodman argues we focus on the workers. And in our analogies we say the landowner is God, the workers are the people of Israel, and the vineyard is Israel. Not so, says Bodman. That parable should be called the gracious housekeeper. The focus of the parable is the owner of the vineyard. Now the owner of the vineyard goes out early in the morning and he hires workers. Another question unanswered at a fair rate. What's a fair rate? Well, the workers agree and they come into the vineyard. But like a gracious hostess, like a mom, the owner of the vineyard isn't satisfied. You can just see mom going into the marketplace. There's still some workers out here. Come and work for me. I'll give you a fair price. And so they go. Mom still isn't satisfied with her children. She wants more. She goes back. And she brings more in. Until she's gathered everyone that she can gather. And she's given the invitation to everyone. At the end of the day, the owner says, here are your wages. Everybody gets the same thing. The people at the beginning of the day are incensed. Wait a minute. We've been here all day. We've worked in the hot sun. We did everything, and these people just came in, and you're paying them as much as you pay us? Like Jonah, sitting outside Nineveh, they just don't get it. The gracious housekeeper, the loving mother, says... Don't you understand the gift? These are my children, too. The gift isn't the satisfaction of seeing Nineveh destroyed. We've eliminated our enemy. The gift isn't getting time and a half because you were there at the beginning of the day, the gift is to come to the holy vineyard 
and experience the holy. And once you experience the holy, the world is turned upside down. The old rules of in-group and out-group no longer make sense. It's a transformed world. It's a place of holy silence. It's a place where we can experience God. The people of Nineveh understood that. The workers of the vineyard understood that. Oh, that we could understand that in today's American political setting. Come to the place of peace. Come to the place of joy. God loves Pittsburgh. Some of you know that uh, I spent most of my adult career as a college professor. Before that, I was a police officer in Jackson, Michigan, then on a training council that certified all Michigan police officers. I taught police administration for most of my career, and I also taught national security, and I specialized in counterterrorism, especially religious terrorism. After the tragedy of 9-11, Grand Valley State loaned me to the federal government where I worked in an FBI-sponsored counterterrorism training program. We traveled all over the country, working with various U.S. attorneys' offices, state and local police organizations, our intelligence communities, our military communities. I also assisted the Department of State uh, and some friends in Europe and taught counterterrorism in Europe and in Asia. And that continued for four years, uh, and it continued part-time until 2013. So I was used to seeing a lot of places. And every time I got up to give my training session, usually two to three hours on religious terrorism, I would say in Kansas City, in uh, Hayes, Kansas, uh, and wherever we happen to be, uh, I'm Jonathan White, I'm from Grand Rapids, and it's good to be here. One day... I was in a training facility with 400 police officers in front of me where three rivers joined together, the Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio. And I said to the police officers, I'm Jonathan White. I'm from Grand Rapids. And this is the point in the lecture where I say, it's good to be here. This was Pittsburgh. I said, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. 400 police officers booed and booed and booed while I smiled and laughed. And then we went on with the training. After the briefing was over, a few dozen officers came up. And we started talking to each other. They had questions. They had ideas of what about this? What do we do here? That was typical of every training session we ran. And we started talking to each, each other because cops are cops. 
And we know immediately, oh, you remember the time? No, it didn't happen quite like that in our town, but it was so similar. And we all knew if we said goodbye to our family, we don't know if we're coming back at the, at the end of the shift. We bond. And we were laughing about football. Those diehard Steeler fans were chastising me, and I was handing it right back. And we left, left as sisters and brothers. Believe it or not, well, my family would say, I can't believe that Dad's saying this. Football isn't that important. It's just a symbol of in-group and out-group. What is important is the invitation. Because God loves the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, the Wolverines and the Spartans, but so much more than that. God loves Catholics, Congregationalists, and Coptics. God loves the U.S. Marines and Taliban insurgents. God loves Russians, Chinese, people from Zimbabwe, Uruguay, and Mexico. God loves Border Patrol agents and refugees and the aliens in our land. Professor Bodman sums it up in the parable of the gracious housekeeper. God invites everyone. There's just one issue left because God does not force anyone to the communion table. One issue. We have to show up for work. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. An old Irish blessing. It's a traditional text from Ireland, and like the Celtic prayers, it uses nature, images of nature, to talk about how God interacts with humanity. It begins, may the road rise to meet you. And then we hear about rain, about sun, about wind each of those with their own symbolism. Wind, of course, could be a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Rain could be a symbol for growth. We're all on this journey, and we grow as we travel. And the last phrase, may God hold you in the palm of her hand. During this time, 
when a handshake or a touch seems to be a danger to our public health, this is an extra sign of comfort for all of us that we're all children of God and that we're all held. There is an invitation to reconciliation, and there's an invitation to grace. And we have an invitation to participate today in blessing this community. When you give to Mayflower, the lights are kept on, the grass is mowed, salaries are paid, and events like midweek and youth group can continue. Your gifts also empower the outreach of Mayflower to bless those in need in Grand Rapids and across the globe. So thank you for giving. Holy God, you see the needs, you see our stewardship, and our desire to use our resources to be a blessing and to bring you glory. Thank you for the generosity of this community and the ways in which this generosity enables us to serve others. Amen.
We quiet our hearts now and join our spirits in the congregational prayer. Holy One, we come before you in this sanctuary, in our living rooms, at our kitchen tables, propped up in bed, to lay our burdens down and to lift our hands in joy and praise. These are strange days. These are hard times. We have so many questions and doubts and fears. But we also have hope. We have comfort. And we have the assurance that you will never leave us or forsake us. As we were reminded in the song this morning, you hold us in the palm of your hand. We are enfolded. As the road rises up to meet us and the wind is at our back, the sun shines upon us and the rain falls gently down, we are held. How can we begin to fathom this? And how can we begin to thank you? Well, we do that now. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your grace abounds. We are not paid by the hour in your system. There is abundance. There is an invitation for reconciliation and an invitation to love everyone as you do. Help us to step into this divine invitation. And help us to be a people of profound grace. As we lay down our burdens this morning, we lift up our prayers for our church. We pray for the pastoral search committee. We pray for the council. We pray for the staff and the volunteers. We pray for all the members and visitors who have found this place to be a spiritual home. Guide us. Direct us. Show us a future full of growth and flourishing. And this morning, Lord, we pray for those in our community who are grieving, those who have lost loved ones, and those who struggle. We pray for comfort, for peace, and for healing. We pray for those in our nation and in our world who are caught in strife and conflict. We pray for those affected by raging fires. We pray for divine intervention. We pray for a blanket of hope. And as we pray for the things that feel so heavy and somber, may we never forget the joy of our salvation, the joy that comes from knowing that you hold our future and that you are love, pure love. In the next few moments of silence, Lord, please fill us with your love. Fill us with your hope and fill us with your peace.
And now we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. theologian Karl Barth was asked one time 
What's the most profound theological statement you've ever heard? Bart thought and answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There is no outgroup. God loves you. So whether you're on top of the world or the world is on top of you, remember that. God loves you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.